and welcome to In Tune With Yourself. I'm your host, Ashley, and today we have a very exciting guest. We have Chelsea Blubish with us. She is an online women's lifestyle transformation coach, and she helps women who have gone through years of yo-yo dieting and different weight loss approaches actually get sustainable results and learn to love themselves through the process. Welcome, Kelsey. I'm so excited to have you on today. We are going to be debunking food and fitness myths. I'm very excited to have you on. Hey, Ash. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. It's so fun to have you on here because I've done some of your fitness stuff and I just loved what you had to do. And you go online and your live videos with just providing information to people is so helpful because a lot of times no one knows where to look or there's so many people to look at and I love how you go on and you just share your insight without you know worrying about what people think or you know someone's gonna get mad at you or it's just like you're providing that great insight and I know I really appreciated it and there's so many people who do as well so I'm excited to have you on and to share with my audience some of the myths that come up for people and hopefully it helps them to, you know, get into the fitness and food piece of not being scared of it. And I think today the information is going to be great. Thank so you. I, yeah. would, <laughs> I would like to start off with having you tell us something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Um, okay. Well, so uh, yeah, you gave the intro on who I am and, uh, and what I do now, but uh, something that a lot of people don't know is I actually, before going down this professional path, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. And so I was actually in university um, in my undergrad. I was in, I studied biology and psychology, and I was getting geared up to write my MCAT to apply for med school when I decided that it wasn't going to be the path for me. And then I ended up transferring into nutrition. And um, long story short, that's kind of how I ended up here. But yeah, that was my, from the time that I was in like junior high until two or three years into university, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. Wow. That's quite a shift in what you were going to do and what you ended up doing, which I feel like you have really drawn into the fitness area. And I, I believe you would be a good brain surgeon, but I feel like (laughs) you're doing more with the fitness and food stuff. Yeah. Oh, totally. And it's something that, you know, it's just, it's so interesting how things happen, but I think ultimately I feel like this pursuit has just given me so much more potential for impact. Not that being a brain surgeon wouldn't, but um, yeah, this has just opened up so many different avenues and so many different doors. And it's totally like, I, I just believe that you know, things happen for a reason and the way that they're meant to. And you kind of just have to trust certain processes. And it was very challenging to go through that struggle of like shifting my identity from who I thought that I wanted to be and what I thought I wanted to pursue to not really having an idea to now being in this field. Um, But it's been, yeah, it's been amazing. It's been really cool. That's awesome. That's so exciting. It's, it's interesting when people have this idea of their identity and what they're going to be. And then all of a sudden it completely shifts and people are like, Whoa, I thought she was going down that path, but now she's going down this path. And I think a lot of people feel they have to stick with where they are. Like they're too scared to make the change or, you know, that they're just not sure how to do it. So they just stick with where they are. And I'm, 
great. I'm really proud to see that you actually, you know, changed it and it seems to be working really well for you. And I know I've seen a huge shift in you from when I met you um, a little while ago. I guess it's been now six or seven years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, yeah, that's awesome. So what is something that keeps you up at night? Ah, uh, gosh, honestly, <laughs> thinking about getting up the next day and all of the the people that I get to impact, all of the value that I get to add, all of the, um, yeah, all of the ways that I get to connect with people and getting to learn and continue to grow myself. I honestly go to bed so excited to wake up and like do my meditation and journal and be posting on social media and sharing like my day in the life and all the things that I do and to get to communicate with my clients and yeah, all of those things. Like genuinely, I am just so fired up about the work that I do because I feel like I have so much purpose and I am so in alignment with my personal values and who I feel like I am. And so that just, yeah, that's what gets me fired up. And that's what keeps me up at night is, is that excitement. It's funny because I can hear it in your voice too. Like I can hear you just saying like, oh, I'm excited to get up and do this and do that. And it's like, <laughs> that's, that's passion. That's, that's what people want in their job. And like, if you think about it, if you were brain surgeon, where the path you were supposed to go, you probably wouldn't have that excitement. <laughs> you probably would be stressed and exhausted. And like, you know, it's more of, a, it's a harder job in the way that you don't really get recognition either because you're kind of behind the scenes. Whereas you get to be the face of your social media and providing that to people. And I can tell when you're doing your videos or sharing your information, you always have such a, a good energy of like, I, this, this fills my cup. This makes me happy. And I think a lot of people miss out on that. And it's like, just hearing you talk about it is super exciting because it makes me excited. I'm like, yes, yes, she gets up. She does this. And it's like, and for the listeners, Chelsea gets up at a godly hour. Like, <laughs> what is it? 430? Three. Three. Yes. <laughs> so she doesn't get much sleep. <laughs> She's thinking no, about I, waking I up. That early. <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. I know some of the, the posts that you do, it's like, I remember one of them was like, is this the wrong hour to be awake? And it's like, yes, go back to sleep was one of the answers. And it's like, no, get up. And I'm like, go back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I think it was it was coffee. I said it is 3.30 in the morning too early for coffee. Oh, yes, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. Um. So what was the fork in the road that got you to the place you are today? So... I guess one of the biggest reasons that I decided to transfer into nutrition is because when I was younger, I actually struggled well younger and, and even into my like young adult years, I struggled with an eating disorder and disordered eating. And my experience in, um, in healthcare when I was getting, getting help for it was really quite awful, um, to be totally honest. And I just, uh, was really frustrated with the way that the system was set up and how unsupported I felt. And so that was kind of one of the reasons that I wanted to pursue nutrition was to be able to offer a different experience to people like me, um, who were struggling with something similar, which I think, you know, a lot of people don't even really realize that their eating patterns and their relationship with food is disordered. Um, a lot of 
disordered eating as eating disorders, as somebody who has bulimia or somebody who has anorexia. And we don't think that, you know, not eating until supper time is disordered eating. We don't think that binging at night is disordered eating. And it is. And so um, really wanting to like create an awareness around that and help people that were struggling with that. And then I ended up going to do my practicum um, for nutrition to be a dietitian. And I just realized that that was, it wasn't the dietitian's fault. It wasn't the the person that I had experience with when I was going through my recovery. It was the system. And you're just very limited in the impact that you can have in certain public health facilities. So that was when I decided I actually didn't want to be a dietitian anymore. So I pivoted again. Um, and then I actually knew another online coach. One of my close girlfriends actually is, uh, is an online coach. And so I had just been chatting with her a little bit and got to see some of the ways that she was having an impact. And that was it. I was like, this is what I need to be doing. This is my calling. And Um, And so I had just at that point started, I wasn't really, I wouldn't say I was secretive about my eating disorder and my struggles with food. It just wasn't something that I like openly talked about. Um, But at that point was when I was like, I need to start sharing my story because certainly there are other people who have struggled with maybe exactly what I struggled with, maybe just something similar. Maybe they just um, have, you know, a similar relationship with food or their bodies. And so I started talking about things and immediately had a huge traction, um, with people reaching out and being like, I have struggled with the same thing, or I feel the same way. Like I need help with this. And, uh, and so that was definitely my fork in the road when I just started sharing my story and talking about my struggles and, um, yeah. And so, and so then that was kind of my, clue that I was like, this is the path for me. This is what I need to be pursuing. That's amazing. And it all it was, was you sharing your story and, and wanting to help people. And I think that a lot of people get scared to share their story. And maybe in the moment, it's pretty scary just, you know, sharing what you've been through, but it helps so many other people who can relate. And there's actually quite a few people who struggle with that, that don't want people to know. And like, I, Recently, I've found a few people in my circle who have struggled with it in the past, and I had no idea. Um, And it was like, wow, okay. So it's it's a very secretive thing, I feel like going through it, you don't really want anyone to know. And so now like you sharing the story is opening it up for people to feel like, oh, okay, she got through it and look at her now. And that's like the biggest piece about sharing your story is that you've come out from it and other people can too. You're not a you know, big famous celebrity, you're Chelsea, and you were able to get through it. And you, you know, you want to share and help people. And I think that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, that gives me chills. Like that is just that's (laughs) so true. And that is what ultimately that is what helped me through my journey, because I didn't have a good experience with getting professional help. It was having other people that were willing to be vulnerable enough to share their story and that could help me from a position of experience. Well, and I think too, when you go to doctors or, or other people, they might not actually have experienced it. They've read about it, but yep. they probably haven't experienced it. And for them to give you advice probably just didn't connect because they didn't know what you were going through. And maybe at that time you couldn't share with them or maybe they weren't listening, like who knows, but it's amazing that you were able to take a really crappy experience of trying to get help and not succeeding with it 
to then shifting to, okay, well now I want to be that person that people come to, to get help. And that's massive. That's huge that you did that because you could have just been like other people who are like, okay, well, you know, I've got no support, so I'm just going to, you know, not do anything with it. But you stepped up and said, okay, well, other people must be struggling. So I'm going to do this. And that's, that's amazing. And you created a income for yourself doing something that makes you excited, which also others people don't uh, do. They (laughs) go for the money. And sometimes it's not all about the money, but that's just amazing. Um, So you shared a little bit with us about your story kind of in the middle with the fork in the road. Can you share your story with um, food and fitness from when you were young to now kind of like how it, like when it started um, your eating disorder to kind of now how it's completely changed your life and just give us a kind of little snapshot of what that looked like. Yeah. So say the disordered eating behaviors started probably around like 10 or 12 years old, I can remember being in grade six and reading the back of a Nutri-Grain bar, like reading the nutrition label and saying, oh, I can't have this. It has too many calories and throwing it out. And that was when I started just becoming super aware of bodies and sizes and weight and food and all of those things. And then into junior high, it was almost worn with a badge of honor if you could go the whole day without eating. Like I remember all of my close girlfriends like wouldn't bring lunches to school. It was almost lame if you sat on like one of the benches in the hallway and ate lunch during lunch. Like that was, it was just lame. So I stopped, um, I stopped bringing lunch or I would just, if my mom had packed me a lunch, I would throw it out. Um, and then I also was really, I was best friends with the like, quote unquote, most popular girl in school and uh, throwback to when we identified as that. But um, she was like, to me, she was like the ideal figure. Like she was um, pretty in shape. We both were cheerleaders. And so she was super fit and she hadn't yet hit puberty. I already had. And so I already, I had curves. I had a body and she didn't. And to me, I saw that and I was like, that's what I want. And I think I saw that because she received a lot of attention from um, everyone, from females, males. And I was always just kind of the sidekick. And she never made me feel that way, but that was just how I felt based on you know, the gap in attention between what she was receiving and what I was receiving. And so I immediately um, thought that it was based on our bodies. So come grade nine, it was actually her sister who was talking to me about body image and eating disorders. And she had just straight up said, sometimes I just make myself throw up because I just want to be smaller. And honestly, at that point, I really didn't have much of an awareness of eating disorders. Like I, I just kind of knew that like people didn't eat and that was cool, but I didn't really think about the fact that not eating equated to being smaller and losing weight. And so then that was kind of what triggered my eating disorder. And so I struggled with, oh my gosh, honestly, right off the hop, it was bulimia. And that was kind of my first demon and struggled with that for about seven months before I started going to recovery. And then Um, my recovery, like I said, my recovery experience was quite trash. So I ended up just kind of 
doing what I had to do to get out of there and then relapsed right away. It definitely wasn't as aggressive as the first time. And at that point I was kind of just like doing different things. Like I wouldn't say I was a full blown, I was full blown anorexia in full blown anorexia, but I definitely wasn't eating very much. Um, still kind of going through those cycles of under eating during the day and then overeating at night. Um, definitely was over exercising. I was still cheerleading at the time. And then in my last year of high school, I got into running as well. And I would say that that perpetuated the disordered eating and the disordered relationship with my body because I used that as almost a punishment or a condition for which I was permitted to eat. So for example, if I didn't run one day, then I wouldn't allow myself to eat as much as I otherwise would. Or if I felt like I overate one night, or let's say I went out drinking one night and ate out, I would make sure that I got an extra long run in the next day. Um, so just a very, very unhealthy relationship with food and exercise. And um, this kind of went on, it was on and off for, I would say until probably about um, 21. And then I, and so it kind of went in phases. Like when I was in, I found when I was the most kind of stable with my relationship with food in my body was actually when I was in relationships, um, probably because I wasn't by myself as much. And so there wasn't as much opportunity for these secrets to be kept. Um, and shame lives, shame thrives in secrecy. So yeah, there just, there wasn't opportunity for that. So, um, but it, and it definitely, you know, come age 21, 22, it wasn't full blown, you know, anorexia or bulimia. It was just still that kind of relationship where, um, fueling my body was contingent upon how much exercise I had done. And, and so it just got to a point basically where I was so invested in my endurance sports and I was running marathons at this point and doing them quite competitively. And then at that point had transitioned into nutrition and I just felt very out of alignment. I was like, I am this person that says she values her health, but behind closed doors, that's not what's happening. And really was just not treating my body very well. And so that was when I actually started to look into other people who had gone through similar struggles. And there's a couple actually like really big fitness influencers out there who um, have YouTube channels and they share openly about their struggles and their stories. And so um, that was kind of the point when things started to change. And it actually was a sequence of injuries that really kind of sparked that for me because I was just, I just became very aware um, that I wasn't fueling my body, that my body wasn't getting what it needed. And I wasn't able to do what I loved anymore. I wasn't able to run anymore because my body was so, it was just done. It didn't have what it needed. It was run down. It was undernourished. And so I just, I knew that something had to change. So that's kind of where the big, I would say the fork in the road at that point, that's where that was. Um, and it's just kind of been, you know, a slow journey since then. I wouldn't even say that I'm totally removed from that. You know, I still have days where something will trigger me, something stressful happens. And immediately I'm like, oh, I just need, I just need food. And it's interesting because I've done a lot of work around this with myself and with other people now as well. And a lot of where that relationships, where that relationship comes from is that feeling of comfort and, and numbing a little bit as well. Because I think about when I would be binging, 
you're not thinking about anything else going on. You're just thinking about the food. You're present with the food. And you're not thinking about, you know, the stress of a test coming up. You're not thinking about the stress in your relationship or with your family or, um, you know, whatever it is that's, that's causing you those uncomfortable emotions. You're just thinking about the food. So it's, it's taken a lot of work and like therapy and, um, a lot of, you know, personal development to start to work through those things. And yeah, like I said, I don't think I'm fully removed from that, but it's definitely at a point where I have, um, I've just been able to recognize that moving my body is a blessing that is not going to come without the support of food and really working on disassociating foods as being good or bad, giving myself permission to eat. There's a lot of different tools that I've developed and learned over this time that I implement on a daily basis, but yeah, that's kind of, it's kind of the snapshot. Well, excuse me, that's amazing. Like one thing that I've really been working on as well is my toolbox of things to help with anxiety and such. And so it sounds like that's something that you have as well, tools to help you get through those times. And I mean, I don't think anybody is 100% cured, if you will, quotation marks, from these kind of things like anxiety, like I feel like you can't really be 100% cured. And same with eating disorder. It's something that is you've gone through in your life that is going to stick around and you're going to get triggers. It's most people do with their past trauma stuff. Um, and, but it's amazing that you've got those tools to get you through it. And, you know, the grace that if you slip up, then, you know, okay, tomorrow's a new day. Like, let's try again, rather than punishing yourself for something. I think punishing just makes it into an even bigger ordeal and you feel worse about yourself. Whereas if you just kind of check in and say, okay, you know what, today it didn't work, but you know, there's always tomorrow. And I think that's a piece that people forget where they keep thinking, oh, yesterday I ate bad, kind of like what you were saying. So now I'm going to punish myself with um, exercise or not eating or, or however. And then it gets into that next circle of getting back into that eating disorder. But it seems that you are able to pull yourself out if you get into that situation, which I think is huge um, because that's the hardest part is, is kind of shifting our brain back into reality of like, no, that's not what I want to do. I can get through this. Yes. Yeah. I think that shame is so commonly used as a motivator and Mm -hmm. that's where the disorder comes in. That's where this toxicity and these negative relationships come in is using shame to, to try to get us to move on and move forward. And it just is, it's a cycle that just keeps repeating itself. Yeah. Shame is really awful. (laughs) Something that a lot of people have that nor like really shouldn't shame isn't something that we should be seeing a lot of but it does come up um with saying what you were just were saying about um you know like eating and that what would you say has shifted from how you look at food from when you weren't really eating it or if you did then you were limiting um to now where I know you eat a lot more than you were eating (laughs) so um, what what has shifted um for you with that so I think the the biggest thing is recognizing that there's a difference between being disciplined and being disordered. I think a lot of us, again, wear our discipline around food and our bodies with a badge of honor, being like, oh yeah, I, you know, I made it to the gym seven days this week and I made sure I got up early. I, you know, I sacrificed my sleep, but I made it to the gym. So I'm a hard ass and, um, And then likewise with food, like 
oh yeah, I, I ate quote unquote clean or healthy all week and I was so good. I stayed on track and that is, it's not something to be proud of because ultimately what it leads to is, and what this is what it looked like for me is staying again, quote unquote, staying on track for five days. And then the weekend comes and you just let loose and maybe you let loose for one meal. Cause you're like, Oh, it's just one meal. And then all of a sudden it's three meals on Saturday and you're like, Oh, well, I'll just start over again on Monday. And the cycle again, just repeats itself. So, um, what's really changed is instead of being super strict because that is, that has proven to not be sustainable for the majority of people. Um, recognizing that like, if you can just practice moderation, if you can just give yourself permission to eat, you won't get to that place where you overdo it, where you feel out of control. And also recognizing that in a lot of situations, food is that emotional clutch. Like I talked about when you might feel a certain way, anxious or overwhelmed or whatever, looking to food to kind of subdue those emotions. So, you know, actually unpacking why you feel the need to soothe in that way. What is actually triggering that and working on that? And then I think another big piece is recognizing that being skinny or having a certain body size doesn't bring you happiness. And it also doesn't mean that you're healthy because when I really struggled with food and my relationship with food is when I thought that being a different body size meant that I was more worthy meant that I was healthier. And that's just simply not true. I remember when I received the most accolades for my body was when I was the most sick. And so I had people saying like, oh, you look so great. You're so fit. And on the inside, I knew that it was only because I was starving myself, which is like really messed up to think about. But for a lot of people, that's the reality. And so Yeah, I would say that the biggest thing that's shifted is just in the way that I see food as having value and actually just not placing value on food, not giving certain foods a greater value than others, not creating a hierarchy where one food is good and one food is bad. Because as soon as you demonize certain foods, That's where that guilt and that shame component comes in. And we all want what we can't have. So as soon as you tell yourself, oh, I can't have that, as soon as you get access to it, you have all of it and you go way overboard. And so if you can, again, just give yourself permission to eat, if you can just say, you know what, I kind of want some chocolate right now and just allow yourself to have some chocolate and you make that a part of your daily life and your normal routine, you release those feelings of guilt and shame. And the anxiety around those foods and it just totally changes, it changes your relationship with food and it changes how you view food as it relates to your body as well. Yeah, that's, wow, that's such a good way of putting it. And the one thing that really stood out to me with what you just said was being skinny doesn't mean that you're healthy. (laughs) Like, that's the one thing, like, you see like nowadays we see models who are skinny on the runway and we're like, Oh, I want a body like that. And then it's like, but they're probably starving themselves. Like they're probably not healthy. And so we're wanting to be a version of us that isn't healthy, but may give us more attention, which is also 
unhealthy. <laughs> totally. So, and like, what does your quality of life look like at that point? Like, yeah. again, thinking about when I was receiving the most amount of praise for the way that I looked, my quality of life was garbage because I couldn't do anything because I was exhausted and okay. my hair was falling out. No energy. Like it was, it was just awful. So yeah, maybe I was in a, a body that I thought was, you know, a, a worthy body, but I felt like garbage. Yeah. And then you have to hide that. You basically have to the smile on and be like, I'm fine. Cause you don't want people to know that you're not feeling good and that you're not really doing healthy things. But I mean, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. And I think since we're just talking about this with food, why don't we do, um, let's debunk three food myths that you have, um, for the audience here. So what three would you like to kind of share with us to debunk? Okay, first one, because we live in the freaking keto age, uh, <laughs> carbs are not bad and carbs do not make you gain fat. Carbs are not going to make you fat. Um, where this comes from is that carbs bind to water. So every one gram of carb that you have binds to four grams of water. So if you are eating carbs and you're seeing the number on the scale go up, it's because you're just holding on to some water. So, um, and the reason too, that like on the flip side, the reason that if you're cutting carbs that you're probably losing weight is because you're losing water weight. And also you're cutting out an entire macronutrient food group. So chances are you're just putting yourself into a caloric deficit, which you could also do by decreasing your protein intake, decreasing your fat intake. Um, it's not, yeah, carbs are not the bad guy. So that's the first one. Don't deprive yourself of carbs. Um, second one is that you need to eat less to lose weight specifically. I don't know where this number came from, but this whole 1200 calorie diet thing. And I remember thinking that that was the magic number at 1.2. I hear this so often. I talk to women and I ask what they're eating or how much they're eating. And oftentimes it's, Oh, I just try to stay like around 1200 calories. And the problem with this is yes, I'm going to, I'm going to affirm that um, you need to, if you're trying to lose weight, you do need to be in a caloric deficit. However, what happens when you're in too much of a caloric deficit is that your metabolism slows down and your body starts to recognize that as its maintenance. So it stops perceiving it as being in a caloric deficit. So there's so many people that come to me and they're like, I just don't get it. I'm eating 1200 calories and I'm not losing weight. And it's because your body is trying to keep you alive. Basically your body's in survival mode now. So it's not letting go of anything. I've worked with women who are over 200 pounds eating 1200 calories and they can't lose weight. And so eating less is not always the solution. I'm just going to put it like that. Um, and then the last one I would say is really common is that cravings are normal. And I think that where this comes from is that everyone experiences cravings. So it's become this very normalized thing of like, oh, I just crave chocolate or, oh, I just crave chips or you crave whatever it is that you crave. Um, but the reason that you have cravings is because your body's not getting enough food in the first place, enough food in general. Um, protein is a really big one. If you are not getting enough protein in your diet, you are going to struggle with cravings. If you're not getting enough vegetables in your diet, you're going to struggle with cravings, even cravings around your period. If you are a female, that is not normal. It's common, but it's not normal. And that's just a sign of a hormone imbalance. So yeah, that's the other one is that cravings are normal. Nope. They are not. They're common, but you shouldn't be living with them. 
wow, I just learned something new. I knew about the other two, but I didn't know about the, the cravings or normal piece that it's just because you're not getting enough of what you need in your diet. That's really interesting. Diet, I don't mean like, I mean what you're consuming, not like a keto diet yeah. or whatever, but just like that that's interesting. I never knew that that was like not really how it should be. Yeah, <laughs> so that, totally. that one's interesting to me. Um, okay, let's do two fitness myths um, that you can debunk for us. Okay, so definitely a big fitness myth is that lifting weights will make you bulky. I hear this from a lot of women that I give strength programs to and they're like, oh, I don't want to lift weights because I don't want to get like, I don't want to be like super bulky. And straight up, you guys, unless you are eating an enormous amount of food, you're not going to get bulky. Women that you see that are like bodybuilders, they are eating a lot of food, like a lot, like 3000 plus calories a day. So no, you know, no person that's eating less than that is going to be bulky. Um, so that's kind of the first one. And then the second one is that cardio is the best way to lose weight. Cause I hear this as well. This one paired with the whole 1200 calorie diet, I need to eat less and I need to do more. Yes. Cardio will promote weight loss because it's going to increase your energy expenditure, which is going to put you into more of a caloric deficit. If you're not also increasing your food intake. The problem with cardio though, is that number one, you're not building muscle um, and muscle is going to increase your metabolism. So muscle is really, really, really valuable. Number two is your body adapts to cardio very fast. So let's say that you're like, okay, I'm going to try to lose weight. And so you start running um, 30 minutes a day after a couple of weeks, your body, just like with eating in a caloric deficit, your body's going to adapt to that. And it's going to say, okay, I need to start slowing my metabolism down so that I can keep myself alive. And so it starts to just factor your cardio into your daily intake. So it's not going to perceive that as being in a deficit anymore. And so then you're going to have to increase the amount of cardio that you do. So let's say you bump it up to 45 minutes a day. Well, again, your body's going to adapt to that eventually. So then you're going to have to increase the amount of cardio you do. And it's just really not a sustainable approach. This is something else that I see a lot of people experience is they come to me and they're like, yeah, I'm just at a plateau and I don't get it. Like I'm running for two hours a day. And I'm like, yeah, well, your body is again, just trying to keep you alive so it's slowing down all of its unnecessary processes to factor in all of this cardio that you're doing. And that's why you hit a plateau. So that's that. Yeah, that's, that's great. Thank you so much. And it's funny because I didn't know that about cardio. I thought that too, like you got to run, you got to, you got to get up that cardio. And I listened to one of your live videos and it was like, don't do it. Well, like, don't focus on that because of the reasons you just gave. And I was like, huh, never heard of that before. And it makes a lot of sense. It does. And so I think that that's huge. And then lifting weights, that's a big one too, that people see is if you're going to lift weights, you're going to become a bodybuilder and it, it doesn't really work like that. What is the number one takeaway you would like the audience to remember today? I think that if there's anything I can tell you, food and fitness is not a one size fits all, which is challenging for a lot of people to wrap their head around because we see 
these specific approaches on the internet that so many people are doing. And we think, okay, keto works for this many people. So it must be my solution as well. Or we see a fitness influencer um, who has, you know, who's been able to transform a ton of people. And we think, okay, that must be my solution as well. Or we purchase, you know, a $50 meal plan off the internet, or we hear about this supplement and we think, okay, that must be my solution. But everyone is so different. Many of the approaches online and in the media are designed for one person specifically. And that's why we fail because everybody is different. We all have different health histories, different goals. And so it's just really important to be mindful of what information you are taking in and where you're taking advice from. I think that's amazing. Like that's the biggest piece is make sure you're getting the proper information that works for you and not just going off of like Instagram. I had um, before when I was trying to get into fitness, I was like, oh, I'm just going to look up different workouts on social media and no idea what I'm doing, but I'm just going to, you know, today I'm going to do this and next day I'm going to do this. And I'm like, I'm not even, I felt no different. And I'm like, I wonder why. And then I found out like, it just didn't work for my body. So (laughs) it was just like, I was like, what is it me? And then I realized that it's not one size fits all. And it's, you know, people who have autoimmune or illness inside, it can be different for them than someone who is super, super healthy. So I totally agree that it's not a one size fits all. And I think that that is a super great takeaway um, for the audience because it it is for food and fitness related. Um, everybody is different. So that's great. Um, so if everybody enjoyed our talk today, I will be providing Chelsea's information in the show notes, but she is on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok under her name, Chelsea Glubish. And I will make sure to have that in the notes if anyone wants to follow her. Um, Chelsea, before we leave, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience as a last, um, kind of ado before you go? I'm just going to pump you guys up real quick and just say that there are four weeks left in the year, you guys. So much can happen in four weeks. Do not write yourself off. I cannot even count the number of people that I've talked to in the last week that have said, uh, it's almost the new until the new year. You do not need to wait until the new year to prioritize your health. It doesn't mean that you have to like sign up for a gym membership or, you know, start eating chicken, rice, and broccoli for all of your meals, but like start drinking some more water go to bed a little bit earlier, like do something small, make some small changes over the next four weeks that are going to give you some momentum going into the new year. Oh, so good. So good, Chelsea. That is such a great way to end with the pump up and to say like, you don't have to wait. And I think that's what a lot of people do. They're like, oh, my new year's resolution is to get into fitness in the new year. And it's like, why not start now with little things that will connect you with your body so that when you get into January, if that's when you want to start, then you're already good to go to start. And I think it's a mind frame thing too. So that's great. Thank you so much, Chelsea. I really appreciate it. And I hope we'll have you on again another time to do another topic, but thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ash. Have a good day. You too.